Amen. It's good. Good to be with you again on this Lord's Day and ask you to please take your Bibles and go to Deuteronomy 6. We are in the second week of our series, if you're just joining us on Family Discipleship, where we're looking at really our anchor text is Deuteronomy 6 and really the Lord's vision for our, our homes, our families, our communities, about us teaching the next generation about God and his mighty acts and how whether we're single or whether we're an empty nester, whether we're uh, newly married and maybe we don't have kids yet, that all of this really still applies to us as the community of God. And last week we looked at how modeling is really the beginning of family discipleship, that you are a walking curriculum for your, for your children on what it means to walk with Jesus Christ. And this week, it begins kind of more, okay, now what does this look like in the weekly rhythms of our home? How do we disciple our kids? And even, I was talking with some people last week, you're a grandparent, and you have your kids, for your grandkids for maybe uh, an hour or two a week, and that even in those little nuggets of time together, how can we begin to think about, how can I lay before them the goodness of God, and how can I encourage them with God's grace? And so we continue looking at what Moses and what the Lord has for us in Deuteronomy 6. And as we do every week, if you're able, let's, let's stand together for the reading of the word of Christ, and we'll begin in verse 4, and we'll read through verse 7. And the Holy Spirit tells us through our brother Moses, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now. Help us to glean and to reap a harvest this morning from your word for what you have for us. Lord, for some of us, we, this is a brand new concept. For some of us, we've tried it before and we've, we've quit. And some of us, we're we're doing well in this area. So, Lord, wherever we are, would you encourage all of us? And would you knit us together as the body of Christ that we may encourage one another for this great and glorious task to teach our children, to proclaim your goodness to the next generation? Help us, Lord. And it's in your mighty Son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, maybe after last week's sermon, you felt like some changes needed to be made in your life. Maybe sins were confessed as we talk about being serious about following Christ and modeling that to your children or to your grandchildren. Maybe you found a fresh new resolve to pursue godliness and to pursue holiness, and maybe you started reading your Bible more and you started praying for your family members by name and people you wanted to see know Jesus. Maybe even last week you launched into a new time of prayer with your kids, maybe a new bed, bedtime routine. And then maybe others of us, we drove home and we talked to their spouse. We said, we're going to do this. We can do it. And then Monday happened. And we had to work late. And then one of the kids was really extra kid-like that night. (laughs) Or maybe you tried it and it felt awkward. You had the book upside down and you were embarrassed. But but here's what I'm getting at. If you were a perfect parent this past week, 
Would you please stand up? <laughs> Robert, yeah, pull it. Robert's ready. <laughs> and like, I feel a need to descend so it doesn't look like I'm standing up. Or if you've ever felt like you've had a perfect week as a parent, would you please stand up and go ahead and show, you come tell us what we all must do? Look, the point of that is, of course not. None of us, we are not perfect. We are not perfect parents. We're not going to be perfect parents. We are not going to be sinless parents. We need to together destroy and crucify the pressures that we put on ourselves as parents. I'm not aiming in this series to do any guilt bombs from the stage. That's not God's intention either. And even today as young parents, there are unique pressures on young parents today. And even just in the realm of, even outside of family discipleship, just of raising your children, of feeding your kids. I feel like sometimes people judge you if you're giving them high fructose corn syrup. And that you're now like, we're all like panicky and making sure like there's no food dyes in this and that natural flavors, what does that mean? And we're going bananas over this stuff. And if it's not free range, organic, hormone-free chicken nuggets, you are a satanic parent. <laughs> Listen, I grew up eating boiled hot dogs, 99 cent Tatino's pizzas and an oil drum of Peter Pan crunchy peanut butter. And I'm mostly okay. So I bring this up to say this. Family discipleship isn't an added stress to your life. Actually, this is added peace. Family discipleship isn't added stress. This is added peace. Every Christian parent needs to relax in the grace of God. Trust him. This is why Jesus says, this is why we said last week that, yeah, this calling is serious, but with Jesus, the yoke is heavy and his burden is light. And in the context of that, remember what else Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Every Christian parent that is, feels heavy laden, feels burdened, feels stretched out, go to Jesus. And he says, I will give you rest. Relax in the grace of God. You aren't in charge of your child's salvation. No matter how well we do family discipleship or how poorly we do family discipleship, you are not in charge of your child's salvation. You aren't a manager of God's gracious work in your baby's heart. So let's trust him. Let's not put more weight in our efforts of family discipleship than God intends. Trust the Lord. And at the same time, though, we need to be cautioned by the disciples in the Gospels. Do you remember when there's a group of kids who are trying to get to Jesus and the disciples are saying, scram, you can't get in here. And what does Jesus say? Let the children come to me. So yes, let's trust the grace of God, but let's also at the same time, let's not unwittingly develop the anti-ministry of the disciples and keep them away from Jesus. Let's not unwittingly adopt the ministry of the disciples in keeping them away from meeting Jesus in our homes. Rather, let's hope we can develop stories like Timothy. If you remember Timothy, who's Paul's protege, what does Paul say about Timothy in 2 Timothy? He tells him how from childhood, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So even from Timothy's boyhood, he was acquainted with the Old Testament, and, we don't, and it's not because of his father. It's because of his mom and his grandmother. 
Lois and Eunice, teaching him God's word. And look what Paul says. If, I know you're not there, but just listen. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, you're acquainted with these sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So even there, the context of why do family discipleship, not that they would just be wise and know how to choose right and wrong, though that's important, but Paul says that you would be wise, that made you wise for salvation. So we do family discipleship, not just that we'd have good little Christian kids, or at least kids who know how to act like Christians, but that they'd be wise for salvation. In family discipleship, we're trying to create environments and rhythms for our kids to hear the gospel, for kids to become wise unto salvation, to meet Jesus Christ. And if they're already Christians, then we're discipling them and we're teaching them how to follow Jesus. We want them to see their cross and to pick it up daily and to follow Jesus and to live in confidence of that empty tomb. And that's really where verse seven takes us now in Deuteronomy six. Let's look at verse seven again. So we remembered last week that verses four and five are about you modeling, you loving the Lord, the Lord's word being on your heart, verse six, and then verse seven. Once you love him, then verse seven, you shall teach them these commands, these rules, the mighty testimonies of God, teach them diligently to your children. And look what else he says. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. So there's two kinds of teaching at work in verse 7, that you shall teach them diligently, and then you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And so we call these two different things. We've been really helped by the Village Church and their sermon series. We've been planning this series and this kind of emphasis in Redeemer for about a year, year and a half now. And then Chandler and the village, they did this series this, like, a few months ago. And so it was so helpful to see how they laid it out to their church. And so we're kind of borrowing some of their language. They called it time. We're calling it intentional time. That's verse 7. You shall teach them diligently. That means there is intentional time. And then the you shall talk of them as you walk and as you lie down. These are captured moments. So two kinds of teaching at work in family discipleship, intentional time, and captured moments. And next week, we'll look at captured moments. But let's think about intentional teaching now. I fully believe that God has given all of us the time we need to obey God's commandments. Do you believe that God has given you all the time you need to obey his commandments? If you believe that, which you should, then as we go through this and as we think about it and as we could try to internalize what this means for our families, that means we cannot internally whine or object or stress. We're too busy. I know I will hear some of that. And we'll, I know you have internal dialogue. Like, Man, we're too busy. I just don't know how we would do this. Well, who made your schedule? You did. Well, we've got soccer one night, and we've got baseball, and we've got violin, and then we've got our group, and then this thing and that thing. I would just say, look, you're the parent, right? I don't know any eight-year-old who runs their own schedule. Intentionality is needed here, because listen, we carve out what we care about. We carve out what we care about. And we've got to get this on our radar now. And I know we all grew up differently. Even talking to some people last week, I mean, this is a whole new arena, a whole new thing to consider. Didn't grow up this way. But listen, we all have the opportunity now, this day, kind of a Joshua-ish moment. We can choose this day whom we will serve. 
and that in our house we will serve, we will worship, we will follow the Lord. So what does it mean to teach them diligently? Moses says, you shall teach them diligently. This, in Hebrew, the phrase, teach them diligently, is one Hebrew word, and it just really means repetition. It means repetition, repetition, repetition. And it was used to describe uh, like a stone worker, an engraver who was maybe going to etch someone's name in a rock. And he would have his chisel, he would have his hammer, and he would just keep working until he gets those letters all up in that slab of rock. Now, that's teach them diligently. Now, you know it wouldn't work if he took the chisel and he just put Jeff on there with the chisel and walked away. No, that's not enough. It's not going to get embedded into the rock. He's got to chisel and time and clear out and clean and then blow off some of the, you know, <laughs> sawdust, rock dust, whatever you want to call it. Definitely not sawdust, rock dust. And then just keep going again and again and again. This is repetition. And then finally, it's imprinted into that rock. And in the same way, Moses is saying, teach your kids what God has said and what God has done. Keep working at telling them about the gospel. Keep working. Keep swinging. Keep etching it into their hearts and to their minds, the mighty wonders of God. It takes repetition because everything with kids takes repetition. How many times do you have to tell your kids to put their dishes up? Even with paper plates. Look, you don't have to walk to the sink. Just turn around. Right, trash cans are right there. Why are you putting paper plates in the sink? Put them in the trash. You almost had it. How many times do you tell them to put their shoes up? That, no, your shoes don't go right in the doorway. That's not where they go. How many times do you have to tell them to take and put something upstairs? And that doesn't mean put it on the first step. That doesn't mean put it at the top of the stairs, but it means take it all the way up the stairs and all the way where it goes. Amen, every parent says. <laughs> Repetition, right? No, where it goes, all the way, all the way. And it's the same with family discipleship. And listen, how many times do we need to be taught the truth? How many times do we need to be told again that our sins have been crucified with Christ? How many times do we need to be told that we are now new creations in Christ? How many times do we need to be told that really there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? How many times do we need to be told that we have an inheritance waiting for us at the end of the age? So one-off teaching, just telling them God loves you once or dragging them to church once a week, these are not enough. So let's not fall into the trap of thinking, okay, we tried it once and that was enough. I bought them a Bible. That should be good enough. No, diligently consistently. And I know the next question is always, well, how consistent? That's such a vague term. What does it mean to be consistent? We have four, what, how many full moons do we have a year? Four? I don't know. Is that enough? Is that consistent? Is it 12? I have no idea. I clearly don't know anything about the lunar calendar. <laughs> it's, if, it's, if there's one a month, is that, is 12 times consistent enough? We have a leap year every four years. Is that consistent enough? So what, what kind of consistency are we talking about? And that, this is tricky. Because I don't think this kind of consistency is make sure you have a weekly teaching, prayer, and singing time with your family every week or every day. Moses says repeatedly, he says diligently, but look at what he says in verse 7, the rest. And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. Do you sit in your house every day? Yep. 
Do you walk or drive somewhere every day? Yeah. Do you lie down? Do you rise every day? Yeah. Okay, so what is Moses getting at? I think he's more saying that we should be striving for an environment in our homes and a culture in our homes where God is consistently talked about, where he is consistently brought up, where God isn't in the background, where, where talk of God doesn't feel out of place in your home, that if you were to start talking about God, that it didn't seem weird, that if all of a sudden you were to say, hey, let's pray at, at, uh, at bedtime tonight. Why? We're not eating. I know, but we should pray. It might feel weird the first time, but then you consistently do it. And it's not weird anymore. So God is concerned with creating a culture, a, an ecosystem in your home where it is not bizarre for God to be talked about, where it doesn't feel abnormal. And listen, we should be freed by this too, what Moses is telling us. So when it comes to the particulars of family discipleship, what does it mean when we have this intentional time? Do we have a weekly sit down, open our Bibles, and we pray together? How, how does this look like? What, what do we do? Every single one of us, it's going to look different. We can't lay down any concrete rules for what this really looks like. And I love John Newton, the hymn writer of Amazing Grace. He's also a pastor, and he was writing letters to friends and other pastors. And he, I read a letter this past week. It was on family discipleship entitled Family Worship, On Family Worship. And here, listen to what he says. The circumstances of families are so various that no determinate rules can be laid down, nor has the Word of God, nor has the Word of God prescribed any. Because being of universal obligation, it is wisely and graciously accommodated to suit the different situations of his people. So Newton realizes this is something we should do, family discipleship, but God has wisely and graciously made it flexible to fit our homes, to fit our families, because each home is different. Our, our family schedule versus your family schedule is different. And people in your, in your missional community, your kids are different. You have different rhythms. If, if the dad gets up at 4 a.m. and drives to work, it's going to be really hard to have a family, intentional, devotional discipleship time at breakfast. If he gets home late at night, or if the mom gets up early, and, and the kids hopping on the bus, and kids, everyone's different. And so this is really, listen, I've got to be flexible here. And so listen, dad and mom, it's up to you. It's up to you and before the Lord what consistent, intentional teaching of your kids will look like. That's between you and the Lord, what that looks like. I think we should encourage one another. We should hold each other accountable. Are you teaching your kid diligently? And, it could, and we answer, yes, I'm, we're doing this and we're, we're trying to do this. Would you pray for us about this? It, doesn't, it, it can't be, are you doing what I'm doing? We're all going to be different. And I love what Paul and Solomon tell us. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but what? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Teach them how to follow Christ. Teach them about Christ. And then Proverbs 1.8, hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. So this is not just daddy doing all of this. This is mama too. There are some strands of evangelicalism where they put too much pressure on dads. This is a shared burden between mama and, and daddy. 
Daddy may lead it. Daddy may instruct it. But listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with a mom saying, hey, why don't we get together and, and kind of nudge your husband? Hey, why don't we do the prayer reading time tonight? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. And if your spouse isn't a believer, kindly invite him or her to join. But gently disciple your children. And, and if they ask, how come mom's not joining? How come dad's not joining us? You just guide them back to God's word. Well, let's, let's talk about what God's saying. Teach them in this time. What does a family discipleship time look like? By, by way of pastoral encouragement, I, since we don't, we, here's what we know from most, teach them diligently. And what does that look like? It's going to look different for all of us. But be flexible. Be, be creative. Figure out what it is that you can do. Because there is no family discipleship factory mold given it out in seminary. But here's what we can do. I think it's really going to be three things. Read, pray, and sing. Read, pray, and sing. So here's what my family does that we try to do. We don't always do it well. And maybe it'll be an encouragement to you. I'm always leery of doing these kinds of things because it may not be helpful to you. And you're like, oh, we couldn't do that because of the age range or whatever. Well, great. Then, then you figure out what, what it is that you must do in your family. And our family, we're aiming for at least once a week where there is an intentional time of reading God's word or a kid's version of God's word and singing and praying together. I think that's possible. I, I really think that's doable, possible, and I think it's a wonderful thing. And then the night might change. Sometimes it's Monday night, but then other Monday nights we have elder meeting, and so we can't meet. Or it might be Tuesday night, but now that school year's back in and we've got soccer and then violin is happening. Well, what about this night? Well, sometimes, you know, we have other meetings that have to go on or, or whatever. But it's on me and Natalie to decide every week what, what is the night that we're going to do it. And how long? I mean, we're talking the longest this time has ever been is 10 minutes. The average is about four to five. And this is doable. Four to five minutes, longer. If you're, I think as the kids get older, these can go a little longer. But my kids are eight and two, so I can't expect Oliver to sit still for longer than 45 seconds. <laughs> and so we've got to be creative, and we've got to be flexible. And, and so we have the one nightly, and once a week, I'm sorry, intentional, and then every night, really every night, one of us, either Natalie or I, if I'm out, if she's out, we pray with the kids every night. And it's just expected. We go into Ivy's room. We get either on the bed or next to the bed, and we pray. Ivy will pray. We had to teach her how to pray. And doesn't Jesus teach us how to pray? Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done. Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. So we teach our kids how to pray. We grab Oliver and say, Oliver, do you want to pray? And I send him to see. He goes, No. Do you want Mickey Mouse to pray? Uh-huh. Then we go, hello, Mickey. And then I let Mickey pray. <laughs> because it's making it fun for him. And I think our Father in heaven thinks it's adorable. It's from the Father heart of God to enjoy these kinds of things. And so then sometimes he will pray. And we teach him how to pray. Pray like this, buddy. Say, God, God, help me. That's really the biggest prayer in Oliver's life. Help me. And he'll say, help me. And he'll say, save me, Jesus. And sometimes he'll say, save me, Jesus. We're like, oh, great, he's a Christian. I'm like, oh, you know, we're just trying to build these things into him. <laughs> trying to teach him that he needs to be saved by Jesus Christ. And then sometimes he'll pray and he'll just pray, Lord. Or he'll say, God, repeat after me. And he'll say, get me out of here. 
So either he's waiting for the rapture or he's just a rascal. I, I, I think it's more a rascal for him. And you don't freak out in these times. They're, they're not going to go according to what you think. You'll get frustrated if you think your kids are going to act like adults in your small group. They won't. They're going to act like kids. They're going to pick their nose. They're going to hit their sibling. Their bodies are going to make noises. I mean, they're going to need discipline. You might have to threaten a kid with, <laughs> with whatever your discipline mode is. So expect all of that when you engage in family discipleship. And have fun. Don't expect Pentecost to break out. And you got to get creative. So we said, okay, what are we going to do here? Um, Oliver, this is your green pillow. You have to stay on this green pillow. Do not move. Okay. And he finally, we, like, he's not moving. He's not doing headstands and yelling bullfight and wanting to hit me during, you know, I'm reading the Bible. Ex expect all of these weird things to happen. But just keep plodding along. Because, listen, little pebbles of discipleship, year after year, add up. Every, every time you do this, every time you pray with your kids, and every time you open God's Word and you just share a scripture with them, or you're singing in the car, you're, just, you're adding little pebbles. You're teaching them about Christ, and all of a sudden, high school hits, and college hits, adulthood hits, and then something happens in them, and they, they look back, and they're going, this is what I've been learning. This is what I know. I'm glad my parents dragged me to church three times a week like a good Southern Baptist. Because now I can look back at all those things and go, look at what all I, I know, and I didn't even know that I know. Now, Redeemer, we, our church, we want to be a family-equipping church. Ephesians 4.12 says that we have to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's making disciples and making much of Jesus. In the, that ministry, it's also in your home that you have... You have neighbors, your nearest neighbors in your home, your children, that you could disciple them. You have a mission field right in your home that you could help your kids follow Christ. And so the leaders at Redeemer, from, from the elders and to Lawson, our student, student family minister, and Christina, the other children's ministry servants. I mean, we have some amazing children's ministry servants. I mean, there's a lot of them sitting right here, Amanda, and then with Jessica Gann, and I know there's many others, Austin Powers, and there's so many at our church. And then who serve, in these, and also these singles that serve, that serve back in elementary and that want to teach your kids about Christ. And so I'm so thankful for Austin and for Alexa and Jamie and, and Sammy and Colleen, all of them from babies to elementary, just teaching them how to follow Jesus, helping you, setting up some ways, some guidelines for you to keep reinforcing the goodness and the glory of God. So we love that we have Redeemer kids, but parents, we don't pawn this off to them. We view them as a, a supplement. Oh, and Russ Daniels is in the back. Good grief for us every week back there with, with the elementary kids and just serving them and just loving them. So all, all of them kind of coming alongside of us as parents and helping us teach them diligently. And so we want to equip you. We want to just offer you reinforcements for how you can disciple your kids. Because I think if you, if you just faithfully follow this, I think you'll all do great. I know so many of our young families and young parents, I think you will just do a great job at this. If you keep trusting the Lord, you may feel nervous, you may feel awkward, but if you just faithfully follow him, I think you'll, you'll, you'll knock it out of the park. You, you'll just faithfully do this and you trust the results to the Lord. So we want to equip you. We're going to offer ongoing trainings on Sundays. We'll have lunches. We'll have events to teach you, okay, how do I really do a family this, the, the devotional time? 
What books should I use? What, what should I think about? What kind of songs should we sing? How, how can I capture these moments? And we'll talk more about that next week. But how can I even intentionally capture moments? How can I set up staged, captured moments? So my kids don't know I'm, I'm having a Bible study with them while we're driving in the car. How can I be like some kind of family discipleship ninja and teach them about Christ as we're driving on the road? We're going to have resources and books and songs listed out for you and, and ready for you to use. And really, one of the first ones is this one is family worship. Look how skinny that book is. What an encouragement that is right there, just alone, the size. I barely see it when I'm holding it. This is one of the most gracious and helpful books. And what does it look like to have a, a intentional time of family worship and discipleship in our home? And Don Whitney, who we've had here at Redeemer in his seminar on praying the Bible, which you can get online, you can teach your kids how to do. It's, it's just wonderful. He, same, those three things are from him. Read, pray, and sing. And he says, keep it short. Even go shorter than 10 minutes. You can do that. I fully believe every adult in this room can read. You're halfway there. I fully believe every adult in this room can read and can pray. And if singing freaks you out, just read and pray then. You may not be able to sing without scaring your kids. And that's okay. <laughs> a, a lot depends on the age of your kids. Teenagers, they may not enjoy singing, Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. That's what we sing. They may not enjoy that as much. But what if you asked your teenager, hey, would you, would you help your little brother sing this part? Would you help him do the hand motions? Would you grab his arms and sh- make him do muscles together? Also in family discipleship, we've got to realize we're not just doing family discipleship. We're also training them how to do family discipleship when it's their turn. That when you help have your teenager model, grab your little brother's arms and let's do big and so strong that he's getting ready as a father. She's getting ready as a mother to also lead out in family discipleship. See, we're raising future men and women. We're raising future disciple makers as, as well. So what should you read? Depending on the age of your kids, I think maybe a psalm. Just read a couple verses and then just ask, what did you like about that? And your kid would probably say, I don't know. Oh, let me tell you what I liked about it. What was your favorite part? And just be ready for what they say. If your kids are younger, read a short section from a kid's Bible. And if you're wondering what to read, in between services, we're going to have this sheet outside. It's got tons of books, resources, and ready for you to to buy, to look at. If you want to know more about parenting, If you want to know about family discipleship, intentional time, and these captured moments, if you want some good Christian biographies to read to your kids, if you want to teach your kids doctrine, if you want a good kid's Bible, we've got it covered. Lawson and and the children's ministry team and some of the elders just engage and just put so much effort into putting this together so that you know, here are the resources that we think these are great. You should grab them and be flexible and implement them in your life. And if you've got toddlers I think sometimes this is going to be a little bit more difficult. What do I do with toddlers? For toddlers, I love these books. Teaching just a simple truth about God in one sentence. God is kind. God is kind. We sit down with Ivy and we sit down with Oliver and just read, God is kind. You give that little rhythm to it because kids just grab that. God is kind. And look, he gives us food every day. That's great. Biblical truth. And then what colors do you see? You didn't make it, you know. I was worried about Oliver for a little bit. I thought he was colorblind. But... What color? Tell me the colors you see on the page, buddy. And so you're doing developmental and, and you're doing discipleship. Next page, God is kind. And then there's a whole series of them. God has power. God has power and you make it fun. 
God is everywhere. All these books are so good. So grab this list outside to help you disciple your kids. If your kids go to Redeemer Kids on Sunday, we've got you, we're, we're doubling down with you. You should get, you should get a parenting uh, guide, an email every week. It's already gone out this morning. Here's what your kids learned. Here's what they learned about Abraham. And here are some questions you can ask them. Is you're going to ask them, how did the sacrifice work? They're going to say, I don't know. I don't remember. Well, we've got the answer for you. What'd you learn? I don't remember. Oh, how about this? There's the scripture memory verse provided. And even an activity, if you want to act out your Bible lesson, which is a lot of fun to do, especially if you have kids and you can act out David and Goliath. I'm Goliath, obviously, because I'm a lot bigger than my kids. And make one of them be David, and have one of them hit you in the head with a soft, you know, ball. (laughs) And then talk to them about the faithfulness of God to deliver his people. So you're just trying to have fun and to teach your kids diligently about the glory of God. And listen, here's the newest thing that we want to just, we've talked about this in one of our member meetings, but a catechism. This catechism, this is a millennia old method of teaching your kids diligently and teaching anyone, adults, diligently about God's word. And this catechism, it's called the New City Catechism. There are 52 questions, one for every week of the year, and there's a long answer and a short answer. The answer that's in the corresponding color is for kids. The long answer could be for adults, or if you're an adult, you're like, man, I'm going to do the colored one. Go for it. <laughs> I'd rather you do that than not do it at all. And this is just another way that we can encourage you, diligently teach your kids. And they're going to go over this in Redeemer Kids. Question one, beginning, what is our only hope in life and in death? Answer, that we are not our own, but that we belong to God. We're not our own. We belong to God. And just lay this out every week. What's our only hope in life? If saying, oh, the death part freaks me out. Okay, just say life. What's our only hope in life? We belong to God. This is compiled by Tim Keller, then designed so nicely by Courtney Villarreal. If you don't know who she is, she's the one that plays electric, plays drums. I think she can play anything, and she does awesome design work. And we have this available for you today for a very low cost of just what it costs to nicely print these little books I, I, I'm excited to go through this. This is not just a, like a Roman Catholic thing. This isn't just kind of an Anglican thing. This is as old as back in the early church. I mean, they did this early on to, to train and to teach new believers. And I think this is something that we find very helpful and needed again in our day. But remember, as we get to the end, remember this intentional time of family discipleship. This isn't just about teaching your kids what Christianity teaches. This isn't just about teaching your kids to act like Christians, how to adapt and to adopt into Christian values. We aren't aiming at sheer behavior change. We're aiming at their love. We want them to love God. So we present them the scriptures like Timothy so that they would be not just wise to make good decisions in life, but wise for salvation. They they would know God, that they would know Christ. We want them to see that God loves them, that God sent his only son to die in their place for them and to rise again from the dead, forgiving them of all of their sins. So really, I think the biggest goal in family discipleship ought to be wow them with God. Wow them with who God is. Don't bore them with God. Let, Let their awesome meter soar as they think about who God is. I love Psalm 145 says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. That should be hopefully 
the result in your heart as you go through family discipleship. Yes, great is the Lord, and greatly is he to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable, and here it is. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. You hear all these words the psalmist is using? They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So tell them about the greatness of God, that, his, that God is this unsearchable greatness, that he is a never-ending buffet of glory. Tell them about the non-boringness of God, that the, the fireworks of his majesty and of his power, that he spoke and then the oceans appeared, that he spoke and nebula galaxies showed up in the sky. Tell them about his awesome actions, how he used his servant Moses, a, a bumbling man like us, and used him just to open up the seas and to bring his people through it and then close in the sea and then kill all of his people's enemies. Declare his righteousness, the resurrection of Christ, the death of Christ for our sins, that they can be forgiven, that yes, you hit your brother in the face again and I told you not to. But by the mighty righteousness of God, you can be forgiven. And I forgive you because God loves you. Teach them about the great power of God to speak whatever their favorite animal is into existence. I remember when Ivy, when she was smaller, and she loved elephants for some reason. She was just obsessed with elephants. Said, who made those elephants? Jesus made those elephants. Wow them with their favorite animals. Like, God made that for you. Teach them about how Jesus controls the storm with his words. When you're at the ocean, these are some of these captured moments we'll get into next week in the, the beach. We're just at the beach and watching the waves kind of come up and, and go back down. Say, Ivy, did you know that God says that he commands this ocean to come up this far and then to go back? It's in the book of Job. He says, you can come up this far and then no more. He does that. He does that. And then Psalm 145, this word commend. One generation shall commend your works to another. This word really means Praise. So it is not one generation shall routinely and rotely and boringly tell the next generation about the commands of God. No, this teaching is worshipful. It's not flavorless. It is teaching them with umami and salt and with zest about how great God is. This is the goal in family discipleship. Not just here's what the Bible says, but look at how great God is. Look how amazing the Lord of glory is that he would send his son to die and to rise again on the, on the third day for us. And that he would give us eternity with him. That he would give us eternal life. That he would give us all that's his. That moon that we see in the sky, if you're in Christ, Johnny, that belongs to you. I love what John Piper says. He says that dry, unemotional, indifferent teaching about God, whether at home or at church, is a half-truth. It says one thing about God and betrays another thing. It's inconsistent. It says that God is great, but teaches as if God is not great. Beloved, God is great. If God is great to you, if Jesus is your great God and Savior, then tell the next generation about how great God is. 
Lay out more than just the expectations that God has for his people. Lay out also the exaltation of God, the resurrection of God in flesh, the return of Jesus Christ. Let him be shown as great in your home. Show them why he's great. Show them why they need a great savior. Tell them of his mighty deeds. Teach them diligently. Point them to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Point them, yes, to the rules, but only so that they may follow the ruler. Point them to the Savior, because they are going to fall short of these rules, just like I have and just like you have. And so that when they do fall short and they see that they have not met the law, we show them, here's why we need a Savior. Here's why we have Christ. He was, the law was just a trainer for us. It was just a tutor, just to get us to Christ, to show us that he is our Savior, the one who saves us from our rule-breaking. Point them to the Redeemer and show them how to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. Let's teach them diligently. Let's pray together.